And then I think through the narrative. Did I answer those questions to begin with? Was there a better way that I can answer those questions? Was there a way I could be more articulate and flesh this out in a way that they don't have those questions anymore? And I think that's where the curiosity helps to build the story. This is Choose to be Curious, a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Welcome. Come, choose to be curious with us. I grew up in a family of storytellers. Somewhere in my possession is a sketchbook of pictures I drew as a kid, the stories my father told about his own childhood. Stories about chasing headless chickens, of the colorful retired sea captain who ran the local grocery, his enormous mustache sucking inward at the start of each greeting, blowing outwards as he spoke. The images were so vivid to me, I almost didn't need to draw them, but I did. And I I think because I loved the story so much and I wanted to give them my own stamp. My father's father had more stories about stringing up a wire across the sidewalk to knock hats off from the passers-by, only to snare his own father, of the young man they called Coal Scuttle Charlie because he was quadriplegic and it was the only way his family could move him from one place to another. I've loved the recent emergence of storytelling as an art form. I've been trying to parse what it is about stories and storytelling that we enjoy so much. No surprise, I suppose, but I think it has a lot to do with curiosity. Why did they do that, we wonder? What would I have done? Where did that come from? What will happen next? How does this relate to me? I think stories pique curiosity, foster curiosity, indeed rely on curiosity. And I think our curiosity about one another's stories is a profound source of human connection. There's actually some research to support this idea. Dr. Yuri Hassan, a neuroscientist at Princeton, has studied MRI scans of the brain to understand human communication systems in effective storytelling. He says those scans reveal that when people hear the same story, their brains respond in very similar ways, so that individual listeners to a shared story end up aligned neurologically which means that my father and grandfather were essentially aligning the family in some ways by sharing the stories of their youth. We see evidence of this today with popular media as well, right? We hear the same news stories as our friends and other like-minded folk, and we align ourselves further, perhaps to our collective detriment. Which is why Ronald Young Jr., storyteller and podcaster, caught my eye. Ronald specializes in shows that combine autobiographical cultural commentary told in a gorgeous narrative format, including Time Well Spent, Leaving the Theater, and his latest blockbuster, Wait For It. So I'm a Ronald Young fan, and not just because he created podcast playlists for his mom when she retired, although that doesn't hurt. So welcome, Ronald. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure. It's nice to have at least one fan. Uh, (laughs) Oh, no. I've listened to your podcast. Your mom is a fan, too. I know this. (laughs) She's beloved by the fans. I don't know if she is a fan. (laughs) You know, when I was thinking first about where to start this conversation, I thought, well, let me ask him whether he started out, whether he grew up with stories and storytelling. But now I've heard your folks on your show and 
these people are skillful storytellers. You've grown up with stories, haven't you? Yeah. Both of my parents are excellent storytellers. Uh, they would always tell us stories about they were they met in the military. And the story about how they met is interesting enough. When they tell the story, my mom would sometimes get up and she talks about the time that she was at a party. No, no, no. She was uh, going to a party and my father was leaving the party. Uh-huh. And my father saw that she was going to the party, turns his car all the way around and comes back to the party. <laughs> and she describes dancing at the party and saying that my dad didn't dance. He just stood on the side. But even when she described herself dancing, she would stand up and start dancing the way she would dance. So my mom was very uh, visual with her stories. She's all in. Yeah. My dad, on the other hand, you kind of had to draw his story out. But once you drew it out, he would just start he would start describing things and telling you things and telling you, well, this one happened and then this guy did this. And, and then he would remember stuff. And so listening to them, I would be in awe of my parents as like these these military giants that met each other and fell in love. And it was so romantic. So. Oh, nice. So what is it about stories and storytelling? I mean, you light up when you tell that story, right? <laughs> we share stories and we light up. Yeah. So why is that? Your, your neuroscientist friend that you said in the intro, I think you said it. There's something about the way the relatability mm-hmm. and the way that we align when you hear a story. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think about some of the best stories I've heard. And even when when I first started listening to podcasts, getting deeper into them, I was working on a support desk uh, in I.T. And I remember I would be working on these tickets. It's mindless work that I'd be doing all day. Mm-hmm. And I would listen to these stories and I would just I'd be taken away. And there's something about that moment where you just somebody's telling you something and you're in it with them, even though you didn't experience it. The way they're describing it, they're putting it right there with them. And like you said, you're aligned with them and it feels almost like this bit of intimacy that it's really hard to articulate. I think alignment is the best word to use for it, though. And your your particular form of storytelling is this is this personal narrative. Mm -hmm. And. That's the place where I think curiosity so much comes in because we all sort of listen to other people's stories and we're like, would I have done that? You know, why do you do that? So when you're when you're crafting your stories, do you think about that? So whenever I tell a story, I, it always starts with – for me, I like stories with action. Uh-huh. So I like to – typically when I start a story, I'm like, you're not going to believe this <laughs> <laughs> I think I've heard you say that. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's typically what anchors my story is that uh-huh. you are not going to believe what just happened here. That is the stronger, I would say. But one that has been coming up the older I get is when I have time to reflect on something. And then I realize that there's a story that fits the reflection. And I'm I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what this is. And it, it, I think it was when I first told the story about... Uh, sneaking to prom. <laughs> a great <laughs> story, people. <laughs> go listen. Time well spent. Go find him. It's the bypass episode. Oh, if you go. my gosh. But, uh, it's wonderful. W- when I first started telling that story, I remember when I did it, I never knew that it would be, I didn't think it would be something that, and I guess you don't think about this when you're 18, but it didn't occur to me that this would be something that would be like a part of my fabric moving forward, uh-huh. that I would I would get older and, and think about this and be like, wow, that was kind of a big deal that that happened. And then when I start to tell the story, people look at me and they're just like, wait, what? Wait, what? And, but then, you know, you, you see what happens when I tell people the story. I think one of the one of the most exciting things that happens and 
again, I, I love this word alignment that you use. They start taking their own story and putting it on top of my story. Right. They weave see, themselves in. Exactly. Yeah. And seeing where we fit. It's like, mm-hmm. well, my parents weren't that mean. Oh, my parents were kind of strict, but they definitely let me go to prom. Like, And then they start. That's how they frame the questions and the follow up they have. And I think that's where the curiosity comes in, because then you say, where are the gaps in this story and how can I align with you? Right. You know, and, and maybe it's aligning my understanding in some cases. Like, there's gaps here. I don't understand how your parents can be so strict. Maybe I need to figure that out. But I think that's where the curiosity comes in, especially when you're listening to a story. Well, and so many of your your stories, your episodes, you have these beautiful reflections for starters. But for Thank me, it, it really does elicit this, like, well, what would I, what would I have done there? And, you know, as we're talking, I'm realizing I think that's a huge part of storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. That's a huge part of why stories resonate for us because we're always sort of asking that question of, like, well, what would I have done, you know, in this situation? So you said somewhere, and I'm I'm not sure where I found this, but you said that audio is a perfect medium for learning and exploring when you have someone guiding you through places you're still imagining into reality. And you do that in your programs, don't you? Uh, I do, and <laughs> it's funny. So when I was a when I was a child, I used to listen to. Um, so I'm a I'm a Christian, and my parents used to have us listening to the show called Adventures in Odyssey. Uh, it's a kids Christian radio show, and it's based out of a focus on the family. Now, I I know when I say that, my beliefs don't necessarily align with uh, James opposite or focus on the family. But as <laughs> but a you kid, take what you'll take what exactly works you for take you. the meat, you leave the bone. <laughs> so <laughs> I I used to listen to this show, and it was called Adventures in Odyssey, and. There was voice acting, there was there was music, there was sound effects, all this stuff. And I would listen to it and I would build the world in my mind yeah. in a way that was better than anything they could show me. Because Adventures in Odyssey also had a television show that I didn't like. Because whatever I imagined in my mind all these people to be was who they were. Right. And I feel like audio does a very good job of just creating this immersive world you know, people that hear my voice, they're imagining what I look like. They're imagining what you look like. And, you know, audio never fails our expectations. When you see somebody that could be like, oh, I wasn't <laughs> expecting really? that. Really? That's what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but when you but when you hear them, yeah. you could just imagine them being like their voice. Just imagine them being exactly what your mind would have them be. So this is so interesting because I think you're I think you're so right about this, that because we bring our own imagination to the story that someone else is telling mm-hmm. we create for what what for is for ourselves the perfect version of that story exactly don't we? yes yeah that's great yes absolutely <laughs> so what are some of the ways that you do that we have people listening to this show mm-hmm. who aren't audiophiles mm-hmm. who aren't sound engineers mm-hmm. pull the curtain back just a little bit what what are they experiencing? What are they getting aligned by that they don't even realize is having that effect? I mean, when you when you set the stage, I remember there's a, I'll go back to the problem story. There's a point in the story where I talk about going outside and mm-hmm. saying that the air smelled different mm-hmm. and it smelled like grass and rain and freedom. Is what I say and people laugh at that line. But I remember I, I never lose that line, no matter how many times I've told that story, because that moment in the story is very important to me. And I want people to understand what it was like to be inside the house 
and then to be outside the house and then headed to prom. And then just imagining the type of excitement that I had there, because to this day, I remember recently and I want to say within the last five years, I went to my parents house and I had a moment where I parked my car and I looked at the house and I had the same moment when I was sneaking back into the house, uh. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, but but I had the same moment where I looked at the house and I was like, oh, my God, I'm just this the same moment. You know, I'm I'm 31, 32 at the time. I'm like, man, this is completely different. So when you tell a story, you really want to create moments for people to kind of put themselves into and say, imagine you standing outside your house and having that moment of freedom and then being descriptive enough and articulate enough to put people in that moment and just describe it for them. So this story has clearly, or your telling of this story has clearly evolved over time, Mm -hmm. I imagine. Mm -hmm. I mean, it didn't spring as beautifully articulated as it is in your podcast (laughs) the first time you told this story, right? So I'm going to assume that you use curiosity, actually, to help Mm -hmm. build the story. Mm -hmm. Unpack it a little bit with that as a concept and mind. How do you do that? So when I first told this story, it was in a workshop. Um, And before you go on this particular uh, storytelling stage, which in this case was Story District, before you do that, we always do a workshop. And it really wasn't my curiosity that drove drove these parts of the story as much as it was the people in the workshop's curiosity. Uh So they were asking questions and then I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. I guess I should bring that up. Or they were like, wait, so do your parents know about this now? And I'm like, they don't. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> and so that and so then that kind of builds the lore of who my parents are. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? At that point, they're like, they still don't know now. Are they still that you know strict or that tough? And I'm like, well, not really. But you don't just rub it in their face that you're doing that, you know. And but all these types of questions that people have, especially when you're building a story, because I, I try not to I try not to tell a story without telling it to a friend first and listening to the reaction yeah. and listening to how they feel about it. Once they do that, then they kind of naturally say, ask questions after that. And then I think through the narrative. Did I answer those questions to begin with? Was there a better way that I can answer those questions? Was there a way I could be more articulate and flesh this out in a way that they don't have those questions anymore? And I think that's where the um, the curiosity helps to build the story. And then for yourself, for your own curiosity, you, I guess for me it's a matter of, and I keep going back to alignment, but it's a matter of thinking about how other people will align to the story that I'm telling them. Uh-huh. And I'm like – What's going to resonate with people? I think one thing that got me was uh, telling this story, being surprised at the lines that actually did resonate with people. I'm like, oh, I wasn't expecting. So this this matters. This part, maybe not so much. And I thought this part was more important. You yeah. know. So when building a story. That's interesting because it seems like people's questions about the story help you find the points of tension, mm-hmm. the points of real emotional resonance, mm-hmm. or the places where, oh, I didn't really capture like – it smelled of freedom, people, you know. <laughs> freedom has a smell. <laughs> freedom has a smell. That's wonderful. I love that. I love that. So one of the people who does research in the curiosity field, a guy named Todd Cashton, who's at George Mason University, he's sort of tried to give curiosity kind of more dimensionality. A lot of people think of it as kind of like it's a state or a trait or whatever. But he's like, no, 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 there are five dimensions of curiosity. Social curiosity, like gossip and people's stories, deprivation sensitivity, that feeling like I must know the answer to this question, Mm -hmm. 
uh, joyous exploration, kind of what it sounds like, you know, sort of the fun, what we kind of think of maybe as sort of the popular idea of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Thrill-seeking, scary stories, horror movies, suspense, you know, kind of the pushing yourself into really uncomfortable places. And stress tolerance, like can you deal with ambiguity mm. or whatever. And I was thinking about this in the context of storytelling mm-hmm. because I think at some level you have to hit all five of those mm-hmm. dimensions to make for a good story. Yeah? I would agree. I would agree. I think a lot of it's going to rest in the social curiosity, yeah. as you said. But if you're telling a good story, at some point you should take a listener through each one of those because at some point <laughs> there'll be a part in the story and I'll use the prom story again when I come back into the house where everyone's wondering are you going to get caught by your parents yeah <laughs> and at that point I'm bringing them down real slow at that point and that's when they're getting that I think you said the deprivation one right it's like or, what's gonna happen what's exactly gonna happen? <laughs> yeah or maybe so, it's thrill-seeking because it's like a horror movie yeah. you're like oh my gosh <laughs> yeah. well I think thrill-seeking is me getting out of the house they're like is he gonna get out like what's going on whereas coming in is he gonna get back in yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> nice nice oh very nice so I want to go to a different one of your episodes and your guest Pam makes this statement at the end about do art because art will save you mm-hmm. and I wonder what you think about that You know, when she said that line, I knew that, and I say line, but when she said that, I knew that at any cost I was going to keep that when I was editing. I was like, that's important. And to to unpack that line, I just have to tell you a little bit more about Pam and that story, which is that when I called Pam just to catch up, how's everything going? And she said, I broke up with my boyfriend. And then she told me about the project about the project that is uh, mentioned in the episode and the project being an art project, you know, it really did save her. And, and, and when I say that in the sense of she was really going through a lot of bouts of anxiety with this breakup, a lot of, uh, a lot of deprivation, if you will, not understanding, (laughs) not understanding where it was going or how it was going to end up or not having answers to her questions. And so when she sought out that closure for herself, She really found a way to save herself some stress, Mm -hmm. some, you know, more anxiety, um, save herself some trouble of having to wonder or think about closure from a different person. So I love that. I love that whole statement that she Mm -hmm. said, because I thought about so many times when you really do are equipped with the tools to pull yourself out of some of these issues, you know, and maybe not every issue, but a lot of times doing art and doing like, you know, some form of self-care will pull you out of some of the troubles that we find ourselves in. Yeah. Does your storytelling do that for you? <laughs> you know, it's there's a sense of catharsis of of telling a good story. Yeah. There's a sense of catharsis of getting it out. Every time I finish an episode of the podcast, I think I feel that catharsis more than when I tell a story on stage. And the reason why I say that is because typically when I tell a story on stage, when I walk off the stage, I always feel like, oh, I should have said this or, oh, uh, I missed this line uh, or I should, have, I should have done this better. But when I do, when I put together and I feel like podcasting is a different type of storytelling, but when I put that, that together, I'm listening over and over again and I'm putting stuff back in. I'm fixing it exactly the way it should be. And when I walk away from that, I'm like, ah, there it is. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> your perfect version of it. Of the or hope, as or close, as close to it as, as we can get. Yeah. Oh, please. <laughs> I feel that. Absolutely. 
I want to ask you about one other thing that you do in your shows mm-hmm. because you do these kind of Easter eggs, these outtakes, bloopers and things, at not the end of all of your shows, but a lot of them. And I feel like that's such an interesting device in storytelling because so much of what a story is is what's not included. And yet you include things Mm -hmm. that are not included. Mm -hmm. And the story's not over. The episode's not over until you do that. And for a listener – I think there's like a curiosity thing, like, what's going to be at the end on this one, right? <laughs> is that – I mean, obviously, it's intentional. You do mm-hmm. it. But how do you think about it? There's a barbecue place, Famous Dave's. Mm-hmm. You go to Famous Dave's and you get ribs. Ribs are delicious. But somehow they came up with something else called rib tips. <laughs> rib tips are the part of the – or a, a different portion of the ribs that's cut off. And normally, you could just throw that away. But somebody looked at that and said, hey, there's some meat on that bone. <laughs> Right. You know, maybe it's not an actual rib, but those might be delicious. And maybe it doesn't make sense to have it on the rib, but maybe it's good enough to eat by itself or eat with something else. And I think that's how I kind of think of my outtakes. I'm like, you know, within the context of the story, this doesn't make sense. Hurts the flow. Doesn't do something right. But by itself, for some reason, even out of context, like it's enjoyable. People are like we, we're not. Typically, you're getting like a, a glimpse of not my most polished face. You're getting a glimpse of me trying to instruct somebody on how to how to say something correctly. Uh-huh. Or like you said, just a portion of the story that just got left out that we just decided to just throw there at the end. Like, hey, here's a little bonus. So I think uh, I enjoy that because sometimes by itself, it's better than in the story. And it made the story slog a little bit. So yeah. I enjoy putting that on there. Yeah, I just I just love the feel of. There's always more to the story, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And it's this reminder. So you've just given me a great analogy, but I'm going to have you do another one. You ready Let's for do this? It. Let's okay. do it. So my big jar of wannabe analogies. Take a slip. All right. I'm going to take one. I'm going to take one for the audience, and we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on this slip. You want to go, or you want me to go? <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> you can go first. <laughs> okay. Um, Huh. All right. I have oil. Okay. How is curiosity like oil? Okay. Uh, so oil, we use oil in a bunch of different ways. We use it as um, fuel. We use it for cooking. We use it to moisturize. And I think in all of those cases, oil is, I mean, it's a lubricant in the way that curiosity is a lubricant for so many other processes. So that's how curiosity is like oil. You are an expert. (laughs) (laughs) What do you have? You are an expert. Okay. I have cockroach. (laughs) 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 And so that's why I wanted you to go first. So I think I can use this to compare to curiosity to say people always say that if there's a nuclear war, the only thing that will be left are Twinkies and cockroaches. I love it. And I think that when everything else is gone – curiosity will always be there okay magic audio sound effect transition here to skip ahead to ronald's latest success wait for it i'm ronald young jr and this is wait for it Wait For It is a 
narrative show for and about people who can't stop thinking about their weight. For me, it's really just about having the conversations and opening the doors to say, like, what are folks thinking when it comes to their weight? So that's what the show is. It's a, it, We're telling stories. It's a great show. I learn a lot from it. And I think a lot about it afterwards, which is like the Lynn highest level of praise, just so you know. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. That means a lot. Like anything, if it's sticking with you, if it's resonating, then I I, I appreciate that. However many seasons we do, by the end of Wait For It, I want everyone to be like, seems like we're all thinking about our weight a little bit more than maybe we need to be. You know what I mean? Maybe we're maybe we're approaching this differently. I think by the end of this, if if we if we've done this right, then everyone's still thinking about it and everyone's now approaching each other with a little bit more compassion as a result of it. I'm just really curious what more you've learned about storytelling from Wait for It. Man, the biggest key is is vulnerability. Like I think now more than ever, I lean into it now in a way that I really think is has become kind of like the brand of my storytelling, which is that when I open my mouth, I expect people to to know that I'm telling the truth and that I'm going to reveal something about myself, about how I think, about how I view the world. And that's what I want in every one of my stories when I'm telling them. So I think vulnerability is probably the biggest skill that I'm honing. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of what makes all of your work so compelling and increasingly compelling with time, because I think that vulnerability is palpable. And and I think it's it's not unique, but it is special. You don't get that a lot of places, right? Yeah. And when yeah. you do, you know it. Yeah. And I think one of the keys is vulnerability is contagious. So if you're being vulnerable, I feel moved to return that vulnerability. Like it's typically, yeah. that's kind of evidence of it right there. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, so if you're like, hey, this thing happened to me, I almost reflexively say back to you like, oh my God, Lynn, while you were saying that, I thought about this other thing that happened to me. So I could like, you know what I mean? There's like a connecting factor that happens with vulnerability. Whereas like when it's not there, you could still sense the separation. You've sort of turned this vulnerability. Okay. So this is just to be curious, right? You've taken this vulnerability contagion into a curiosity practice. It's like a way, right? I mean, I always see things this way, right? We are. But that's what you've done. Yeah, I mean, I think so. You've been listening to Choose to be Curious. I'm Lynn Borton, your host. Thanks for joining us today. You can find all my shows at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you'll follow me here, there, and on social media at Choose to Be Curious. Many thanks to my guest and storyteller extraordinaire, Ronald Young Jr. Links to his wonderful work on my website. Thanks, too, to Sean Ballack for our theme and other music. I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, choose to be curious. I creep to the door, I open Walk down the hallway, past my parents' open bedroom, down the wooden staircase, down to the creaky step. They didn't hear me. So ease my way down to the second floor. I'm good. 
Then I can move a little quicker. I'm out of earshot. So I go down to the second floor, through the bypass door, and I'm free. I'm out. And I swear to you, the air smelled different. It smelled like <laughs> grass and rain and freedom. <laughs> and so as I drove the prom, prom, I prayed a very specific prayer. I said, God, if you let me go to and from prom without getting in trouble, I promise I will never sneak out again. <laughs> 